Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. So big week for the U.S. men's national team as they take on Mexico Friday in Cincinnati and then Jamaica on Tuesday. This is not a dress rehearsal, everybody. This is World Cup qualifying uh, where the rubber hits the road. Uh, go time, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're going to we'll discuss it today uh, with a man who knows the ins and outs, ESPN's Jeff Carlisle. Jeff always has a, an educated, reason, sane, kind of measured outlook on all uh as we uh he also seems to have sort of an inside scoop on what's going on uh inside camp at the national team and and uh and all else because i tell you something man i've been reading some of this um uh, some of the the social media stuff man that is a crazy rabbit hole you can go down uh i don't oh, yeah. uh, i don't admire it for anybody it's great so jeff we're glad you're here and uh, joining us they do every week media executive grail hallett and otb producer sam griswold good morning gentlemen how we doing doing well yeah doing all right all right, good. So uh, before we get going, before we get to Jeff to find out what's going on with the national team and this big Mexico matchup, what are you guys over today and over the ball? Well, before we get into that, Kevin, you had a big week. You were in a scene in a Fairly Brothers movie with Zach Efron, and we'd like to hear how that. Oh, I mean, I probably have... Zach. He's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, listen to you, Grill. Well, you sounded like I probably won't people... see the movie, but I'd like to know how the scene went. <laughs> Well, first of all, I had my COVID cut uh, or my COVID non-cut. I had my long soccer hair, um, just a little more balding on the top, but I was digging my long do. And first thing they did when I got there was they cut it all off. And then um, then they made me wear a ski hat, which I thought, because I was supposed to be a dock worker. And then it turns out I was management. So then they, they took the hat off, which was better. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I was in the scene with Zach. It's not a Farrelly Brothers movie. It's a Peter Farrelly directed uh -huh. movie. So uh, it's not outright comedy. It's got Russell Crowe and uh, Bill Murray, who was on set. Oh, Zach you name Efron. dropper. Yeah. I'm telling you who's in the movie grail. I wasn't saying who I was in, in a hot tub with. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so anyway, it, it, you know, it's always a bizarre uh, sort of situation because there's like 17 tractor trailer trucks, hundreds of people. And it all comes down to like, you know, in my case, the two people in the scene. And uh, so hanging out with Zach for the day was interesting because we'd walk from where our scene was uh, being shot to where the, the holding area was and he'd have to walk out in the streets. So the two of us were walking and there's like 20 teenage girls just screaming his name. It was like Elvis or the Beatles, you know, it was unbelievable. They weren't and so screaming we for you? Uh, not for me, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, who's the old gray haired man with Zach? <laughs> No, so they, they uh, but we were laughing because we're walking and all of a sudden some girl, it's got to be 14 years old, 15 years old, goes, Zach, Zach, over here, Zach, show us your abs. And I'm like, and he looks at me, he goes, did, did you just hear that? And I go, yeah, he goes, did she say what I think she said? And he goes, I go, yeah. He goes, where's her mother? Oh my God, 14 year old, where's your abs? So anyway, it was, uh, it was interesting. And you know, the weird thing is, uh, they've got four people around you all the time. One for your hair, one for your makeup, one for your wardrobe, and one to get you stuff. So I'm like, oh. I, could get, I could get used to this. So uh, Well, Sam and I kind of play that role on the show, so that's yeah. familiar. All right, guys, so, yeah. so let's get Jeff on in a bit, but what are you guys over? Quickly, Grail? Yeah, I'm just over the sham of concussion protocols. I feel like we've actually regressed over the last 10 years. I remember a couple World Cup cycles ago, it was really top of mind. And Taylor Twelman was talking a lot about it. And right. all these protocols were put in place. And then I was watching the Man United Man City match and Luke Shaw had a collision with Rodri on Man City. The specialists came out, probably said, hey, what's your name? And he said, Luke. And he <laughs> said, you're good to go. 
and he stayed in the game and then clearly, uh, you know, felt symptoms going on and finally had to, so they, they, they brought him off and they brought the concussion sub on. But again, I, I just think we have to go to the NFL protocol. The minute something happens, get him into the locker room, do an actual, you know, study on him and then get the concussion sub on. And if he's good to go, bring him back on. But as it stands now to me, there's just, there's nothing going on. Okay. Correctly. We're, we're, we're going to take some tips from the NFL with concussion protocol. Dear God, help us all. Well, they got right, the Sam, tent, Sam, you know, Sam, what are you over on over the ball? Yeah. Well, I'm going to stick to world cup qualifying. There's been a lot of stories. I'm sure you guys have seen about how, you know, this is kind of maybe the last round of really intense CONCACAF qualifying because we're going to have the expanded field, obviously in, uh, 2026 and then beyond. So I'm over the fact that the World Cup is going to probably expand to 64 teams eventually. Uh, and I'm going to propose a solution, um, which is rather than just complaining, which is why not have a B tournament with 32 teams for some of the countries that don't qualify for Isn't the major that the tournament. the World Cup? Yeah. Oh, uh, you know, that's controversial. Sorry. Sorry, I was joking. Everybody. Oh, man, Flitty, you're in trouble. <laughs> I just think this is something that's very built into the soccer system already, or like worldwide. You got Champions League, Europa League, now you got even Conference League. They just keep adding these lower tiered tournaments and competitions. So I don't see why they can't do that with the World Cup. And it's unfortunate though, because some of the lower tier teams don't get represented in a World Cup. It's kind of a it's kind of a bummer, you know. So, yeah. uh, we'll know, but there are there are too many go, tournaments. Too many when they go to forty eight, that's going to be a big change in and of itself. So we'll see if that dilutes the quality at all. All right. So big couple of days for the U.S. men's national team uh, World Cup qualifying. As I said, uh, we're recording this on a Thursday, one day before the showdown with Mexico and Cincinnati. A man who was on site, uh, Jeff Carlisle from ESPN. Jeff, uh, welcome to OTB. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you're in country, man. You're uh, you're in Cincinnati. Uh, are you feeling it? I'm, I tell you, I got to be honest. I'm a little nervous with some of the injuries and the, the lineups. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, you know, I'm not feeling that uncomfortable about it. I mean, just because of everything that the U S went through the last window, um, right. you know, there was so what six points, you know, from the, from the three games. Um, but that was without Pulisic, without Reina, without Brooks. Now granted they're without Brooks again. Um, and without you know, Reina. Yeah. That, that, and without Reina again, but, so, I mean, this is something that they're used to and, and something that, you know, I, I spoke with Greg Berhalter about, um, you know, a few, like a week ago, he said, it's never perfect. It's never right. going to be your best 11. It's never going to be, you know, everybody in top form. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. And, you know, you can kind of see the education of a, of a international manager there. I mean, where he's, you know, and, and granted that happens at club level too, but, you know, it, you gear up for these windows, you gear up for these games, especially like the one tomorrow. And, you know, you want to have everybody at their best and it, it just doesn't ever work out that way. And, and we'll see how much Christian Pulisic is able to play. I mean, I would be surprised if he started the game tomorrow. Um, I, I think he's, his role this window is going to be as an impact sub. Right. Um, but, you know, Berhalter's the one who's seeing him in training and, and, and able to judge, but I mean, you know, he had what, two substitute appearances for Chelsea in the last week. There was Malmo and then Burnley, you know, right. uh, neither one was a particularly lengthy stint. So, um, you know, it's going to be up to guys 
the same guys who stepped up during the last window, you know, whether it's a, a Brendan Aronson, um, you know, I think Weston McKinney is going to play a big part as well. I, I just remember that Nations League game back in June. He was kind of the emotional center of that team. You know, he was the guy that was really driving, um, you know, driving the U.S. on. And, you know, they were able to finally get the results in the end. Um, so I, I think he's his play, his performance is going to be very important as well. Yeah, and you can tell that Burhalter had a conversation with Tuchel with uh, Chelsea. So that's, you know, I would, you know, I'm pretty sure he will not start, I would say. And But, uh, you know, he's going to be a target, too, uh, for the Mexican players. They're going to go at him hard uh, physically. And, um, you know, I just said, like, I understand with the, the the team now we do have some depth, uh, but to lose Dest, to lose Reina, to lose Pulisic, sort of half half. I just think that's that's what I'm concerned about uh, the most. I think. Well, I think in Dest's situation, I, I hear you if if they were playing Jamaica, you know, because then that's a game where they're going to have more of the ball. But I, I'm not so sure that a game against Mexico really would have suited Dest because yeah. you know Mexico is probably still going to have a lot of the possession. He's going to be spending a lot of time defending. Everyone knows that his strength is really getting into the attacking half and, and creating havoc that way. So, you know, maybe it behooves to, you know, Berhalter to have an old hand out there like, uh, you know, DeAndre Yedlin, who's, who's been through these kinds of things before, huge experience. Um, you know, and then you've got Anthony Robinson on the other side. So, I mean, I think the wings are going to be an area of the field where, you know, Mexico is going to try to, to – to get a lot of joy because you know, they've got, you know, Irving, you know, Chucky Lozano, and then they've got Tecatito Corona. You know, those two guys I think are going to be ones to watch just to see how the U S is able to hold up defensively. And I always love when we talk about Dest, a defender who doesn't like to defend. It's uh, it's, it's kind of funny, but he, he goes forward so well. All right. So speaking of a man who did not like to defend Grail question for Jeff, uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Um, we were talking before we came on um, about the goalkeeper position and kind of the importance of, securing that i mean just like kind of making a choice and sticking with it what are your thoughts on on you know naming turner you know just because he's the guy who's kind of gotten us here it's it's not just that he's the guy that's gotten them there i mean he's the guy that's playing yeah i mean zach stefan is not getting regular games for man city i mean it's not like he's not playing at all i mean he's gotten mm-hmm. some some appearances in cup games but you know i i think you know, just Matt Turner is the guy who's getting the repetitions. He's the guy who's on mm-hmm. the field every week for New England. Right. And so, and, you know, he's not a neophyte when it comes to the international game. I mean, this is a guy that held up very well during the Gold Cup, mm-hmm. came up with some massive saves, um, has played Mexico. He, he's gotten his baptism there. And so I, I think this is a guy who is, is, again, is getting the repetitions, but also has enough experience to not, crumble in the moment Mm -hmm. and so um so if i'm greg berhalter turner is the guy that i'm going with but you know he also has a history with zach stefan they know each other very well from their time in columbus so um you know it could go either way but i for me i mean i think turner is the guy who needs to get the nod and um but again we'll, we'll, we'll see what berhalter decides well he's in form Turner's in form. Yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was a little shaky. Uh, what was it? The El Salvador matchup, I think. But that the field conditions looked bad. They kept playing the ball back to him. He, he looked a little nervy. But you could tell he was annoyed in his uh, performance. And I think he'd come out strong, especially in this Mexico game, and especially the way he played in the last one. Sam? 
Yeah, Jeff, I'd love to get your take on the John Brooks situation, if we want to call it that, because, uh, you know, him being left off this team or this time around, you know, continuing to play so well, it seems like for Wolfsburg and both Bundesliga and the Champions League, it just seems really odd that he can't really seem to replicate that form for the U.S. team. And yeah, I'd just love to get your take on that. You know, I've always had this theory about Brooks in that <laughs> he doesn't travel particularly well especially mm-hmm. when there's a short window. Mm-hmm. When you look at his best performances for the U.S., they've tended to come after lengthy camps, before a World Cup, before a Copa America Centenario, or even, I think, back in the, in the, in the 2018 cycle, there was, you know, there was some June qualifiers where there was an extended camp right before. And so... In those games, he, he, he tends to be able to get his legs under him, you know, get whatever jet lag is in his system out and is then able to play. When he has to make that quick trip from Europe and, and then be asked to, to play a game, you know, whatever, whatever it is, three or four days later, he tends not to do as well. He, he tends mm-hmm. to switch off. You know, we saw it against Canada. We saw it um, – I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was – the game against Honduras, um, you know, where uh, I could be getting my games mixed up here, but there's just been games where he hasn't, he hasn't looked sharp, where he hasn't Mm -hmm. been on top of, of, you know, of, of everything that's going on around him. And so I think coming into this with it being a a two match window, um, now granted they've had most of the week to prepare, but again, I think, and, and then, you look at the fact that he just hasn't played well for the U.S. I, I think that that's you start to peel back some of the reasons why Brooks is not in this roster. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, he's played well of late for Wolfsburg. I mean, there was a stretch there where he was, you know, and it kind of coincided with his, his his subpar displays for the U.S. where he he wasn't playing well and he lost his starting spot for a little bit, mm-hmm. and now he's gotten it back and he's playing in the Champions League games and all that. So. Um, but again, it's, I think it's, I think Burhalter is mindful, and, and this is just kind of my observation of it. I think he's mindful of what situations John Brooks excels in. So mm-hmm. do I think we've seen the last of John Brooks? Not at all. I, I think he will be yeah, back yeah. Uh, at some point during this cycle. And I, I still think he's going to be on the plane to Qatar, assuming the U.S. qualifies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just seems like this match, you know, this window – didn't suit him. And so that's not what, that's why he's not around. That's interesting, Jeff. That's a, you know, that's one of the things you're talking about with Burhalter trying to become an international sort of, you know, coach all the, the, the different things you have to consider when you're assembling a team, you know, who's in form. I also think the, the inter-squad uh, competition is important. And if you remember the beginning of qualifying, Brooks was the man. He was the man that everybody sort of put in that starting lineup. And then who's going to play next to him? Who's going to play next to him? Well, all of a sudden, we have uh, some of these, you know, younger players are stepping up as well. Is that just a, do you think just uh, Burhalter's confidence in Zimmerman and, and Robinson and a couple of the players who really stepped up? Chris Richards. Yeah. I think yeah. he's, yeah. yeah, you know, especially, you know, watching these guys, you know, in the nation's league and the gold cup. Um, now granted world cup qualifying is, is a cut up, you know, that's a step up. That's a big step up. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, just seeing, what happened with, with Chris Richards and, and Miles Robinson in, in the last round, I, I think he gained a lot, you know, Berhalter gained a lot of confidence from that. I mean, a lot has been said about Chris Richards, a lot, you know, the fact that he's at Bayern Munich and, and doing well on loan at Hoffenheim, um, yeah. 
you know, it, but you know, he was kind of this unknown as well. I mean, no one had really seen him in an important game for the U S and certainly the Costa Rica game qualified as such. So I think that's also what gives Berhalter a little bit more comfort with this decision is guys like miles Robinson and Chris Richards and, and Walker Zimmerman have stepped up and, and played well when called upon. And so um, there's, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a fair bit of depth at center back and it's increasingly becoming proven depth. You know, guys have been kind of thrown into, into tough situations and, and come out playing pretty well. So um, yeah, I think that all factors into it. You know, I think the other, and the other point is it puts a little heat under your ass there as a player to, c- right. to compete every time you get out there. Grail. Yeah, Jeff, it seems that we finally might've found a number nine in Ricardo Pepe and I'm a huge fan and I would just love um, Berhalter just put him out there. I think, I think, I think he's okay with the moment and whatever, just curious what your thoughts are. And so, you know, it, it was weird with Panama when he didn't start and stuff at this point, what are your thoughts about just putting him out there and letting him do his thing? This guy has no fear, right? This guy, no moment is too big for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, whether it was, you know, breaking into Dallas's Academy, you know, doing the same with their reserve team. Then, you know, once he got his chance with FC Dallas, you know, the, the, he, he was getting the goals. And I mean, he, he's just shown it at every level. And it is a lot to ask of an 18 year old. I mean, you know, but again, it's, it's, it's kind of where youth is the advantage. You know, you, you don't really, you haven't been around long enough to know what to be concerned about, about. Or, or even afraid of. And so, um, so this guy, he just, he just continues to, to get the job done. And, um, you know, especially now in a, in a kind of a, a more normal double fixture window, I mean, we're going to see a lot of him. I mean, I was a little surprised that Berhalter didn't bring in someone different than, than what Pepe brings, like a, a Daryl DK, who's a little bit more of a battering ram, maybe can get you a scrappy goal if you need it late. Um, you know, it, it is, you know, Tim Wea is there. Um, Jesus Fadetta is there. Um, but Zardis is hurt, right? So Zardis is hurt. Um, so it's, you know, I, I don't look at Wea and, and Pepe as being all that different. I mean, granted, I mean, no two are exactly alike, but I, my, my point is that I, I think the U.S. is a little thin there. You know, you, yeah, you hope that nothing happens to Pepe during these two games. And that they they suddenly have to go to what's really kind of a plan C, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's it's kind of, you know, it's not a perfect situation. So, but but in terms of throwing Pepe out there, I mean, he's met every challenge. He has he has not looked overawed at any point. And mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, why that's, not? That's boring, Jeff. I, I love watching those kind of players play. Uh, all of us as players wish we were that type of player where you could just block everything out and be that cocky kind of, you know, hey, what's up? Here we go. You know, I just, uh, it's uh, it's nice to have a guy like that up there. Of course, he is 18 and it's still early, but uh, but we're all pulling for him, obviously, because we've been waiting a long time for a number nine. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam? Well, I think Grail wanted to ask him. Yeah, just, yeah, just a quick follow-up on that, Jeff. Um, the one area where I think we've been kind of lacking has just been quality services from the flanks. Like we get in good positions and we just hit like a, a limp cross. And that to me is where the difference, like with Pepe, if you're giving him good services, he can do stuff that other strikers can't do at least the ones we've tried. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on both of those things. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I mean, I remember, 
you know, the Honduras game, you know, that was a cross from DeAndre Yedlin. I mean, that was, was inch perfect. And, you know, a big, a big, big goal, maybe as big a goal as there's been in this cycle. Um, but he, but Pepe gets in good spots. I mean, yeah. he just has this, this, this sixth sense that, you know, he, he just knows where to be, knows what runs to make, knows kind of where to find those, those soft areas in, in an opposition defense. And I, th- I think that makes a huge difference. I mean, it's, you know, obviously, you know, Chris Wondolowski was, was kind of, you know, on an MLS level was the, the, the best example of that, where he, his movement just, he always found a way to, to get free. And I think I see some of that in Pepe where he, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the, even the first run he makes, it's kind of the, where he kind of resets and then finds another soft pocket. And I think that's a really tough skill to, to develop and, and, and hone. And so mm-hmm. um, yeah. you know, for me, that's, that's, that's one of his best strengths, but yeah, I mean, that's where they'll miss Dest. I mean, I think Dest is going to, you know, he's a guy who can provide service from outside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think Anthony Robinson, that's a real strength of his game. And, you know, we've seen him deliver some really telling crosses. And I, I mean, sometimes I find myself screaming at the television, you know, how many overlapping runs from Anthony Robinson are going to be ignored yeah. until they finally give him the ball. And so lo and behold, when they, when they finally started giving him the ball, he, he started doing some good things with it. So um, yeah, yeah. we'll see if some of the guys further up the field can, can be better in that area, whether it's a Brendan Aronson or, you know, even though I think he, he was the guy that got, that helped set up the goal against Canada. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, whether it's a Paul Ariola or, or anybody else or, or a Tim Weah, um, you know, that, that service does need to improve, but, um, that's, that's where the fullbacks, I think, need to make sure that they make a contribution in the attack and don't, don't just sit back the entire time, especially mm-hmm. against Mexico. You know, you mentioned Wando, huge fan of his. Uh, we'll talk about him in a little bit, but, um, you know, that is an innate quality. where right? so You're almost born with it, that sort of sense of where to move in the box. Uh, and I also say if Wando hit that goal against Belgium, he'd be considered one of the best strikers the United yeah. States has ever had. And that's a goal that, that Wando would generally – you know, finish. That's just how that was a Wando goal sitting there. But uh, so he's retired, but uh, you know, we're going to give him his props and his due because he's just a fantastic competitor, uh, a fantastic leader uh, within the community on the team uh, and just a good, a good, decent guy. So uh, good human. Yeah. A good human. And, uh, and, and really, and you can tell that it, it comes across. So, and that's why we love this game, Sam. Um, yeah. Just before we talk a little MLS, uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of attention on the Mexico game on Friday, but uh, I just want to get your take on the, the Jamaica game next week and what that's going to look like. And maybe the risk of kind of going all in on Friday night and then, you know, still having to sort out this trip uh, down to Jamaica. Well, I don't know if it's as much of a risk given that it's only two games. Um, you know, I think if it was, a, if it was a triple fixture window, then I think there will be more of a risk of that, but yeah. because it's, only two you know i think the u.s is going to be able to recover um there probably will be a little bit of rotation but maybe not the crazy rotation that we saw in some of the previous windows but that's an important game i mean you know jamaica is a team that has had its struggles you know during this this qualifying process and so um that's a that's a real opportunity again to get three road points um you know they did it against honduras uh, they, they couldn't get that done against Panama. Um, you know, that everyone talks about defending your home turf and, and getting, you know, points at home. And yes, that, that is important, but 
road games are just as much of an opportunity. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. that was a, that was an area where in 2018, the U.S. didn't take advantage. I mean, they had these great home performances at, at certain points, but then couldn't follow it up, you know, back to back. So, um, you know, that, that's that, that's another opportunity. And it's one that I think they need to take advantage of because, you know, everyone is saying, well, okay, the U.S. is in second place and, you know, so far so good. But that the last fixture window is a killer. They are That includes road games at, against Mexico and Costa Rica where they historically have not done well, not particularly well, Costa yeah. Rica. And so you don't want to be going into that last window needing a result or needing help or anything like that. So, I mean, the time to get these points is now and, and really just set, you know, it's important for the U.S. to set itself up so that they don't have to go in, you know, just anxiety ridden, trying to figure out how they're going to get results in those two places. So yeah, um, and thinking about Trinidad in the back of their head, you know, like uh, yeah. It's, yeah. It's a history of repeating itself, Sam. Yeah. Well, yeah. Just really quick. Also, Jeff, I'm just curious to get your take on the future of CONCACAF qualifying, as I referenced at the top of the show with, you know, the expanded tournament and the sort of idea that's being floated that, you know, these U.S. Mexico games are never going to mean as much as they do right now. Uh, just, yeah, I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely the end of an era. Um, you know, obviously in 26, Mexico and the U.S. and Canada are all hosting, so there won't be any qualification effort there. And then, obviously, you know, the following tournament, the world is going to be deep into this expanded format. So, um, you know, with, you know, six teams or so from CONCACAF. And so, that yeah, there won't – it'll always mean something. I mean – even in friendly games, you, you see things get heated, mm-hmm. but just in terms of, you know, for the lack of a better word, the power of, of a result, the importance of a result, I don't think it's ever going to reach these heights. I mean, mm-hmm. there will be the occasional gold cup final or nation's league or what have you, but um, the world cup is the world cup. I mean, that's as big as it gets in international soccer. So mm-hmm. um, I think it's a shame. I think it's, you know, the fact that there that this tension will kind of be removed from the whole process. I mean, that that's a lot of what the game thrives on. It's not right. just, I mean, yes, there's rivalry, but there needs to be this tension to it as well. And so, and I think that's what will be missing. It, you know, you, people will walk out of the stadium, maybe upset that, you know, the U S lost to Mexico, but well, they're going to qualify anyway. Anyway. Yeah. So, it's a bummer. Yeah. And so they're just, there's just not going to be as much juice mm-hmm. associated with, with these particular matchups. So uh, listen, I, I, I get that FIFA feels like they need to feed the beast and, and rake in as much money from this tournament as possible, Jesus, but man. I do something, something's going to be lost and that's part of it. You know, we, you know, we talk about these games and it gives us gray hair as we worry, you know, through the qualifying process, but it's kind of a love hate relationship, but it does build that tension, Jeff, which is so important. I mean, like a U.S. Mexico game. I'm really happy about Canada coming stepping up because it, you know, but that's a double edged sword too, because they're playing, you know, they play much better now. We used to stomp all over them, but now we have a rivalry to the north and a rivalry to the south. It's really good for soccer. Um, but like you're saying, the money, follow the money into so many games. I haven't met a soccer person that's been in agreement with this so far, just expanding. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, to think back, I mean, I can remember when the tournament was 16 teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly there, there needed to be some expansion. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, I'm one of those people that thinks that there's a point where, you know, it becomes too much. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think, we're, we're, you know, we're rapidly approaching that point. I mean, 
you know, 32 teams just, just seemed to be about right. You know, it, it meant something to qualify. It, and then it meant something to do well in the tournament. And so, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I think with 48 teams or, you know, 64, if that's what it ends up, you know, becoming, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. it's just not going to mean as much and it's not going to be nearly as much fun, you know, whether you're a fan or a, or a journalist or, or what have you. So everybody struggles for relevant, uh, relevance and then follow the money. So, uh, mm-hmm. all right. So let's talk about MLS. Um, New England seems to be the hot team. Um, you know, arenas really turned that uh, franchise around. Uh, what are your thoughts? Are they the favorites to take oh, absolutely. it all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they've, they've just got such a balance within that team. I mean, they've got three DPs who, all perform all, you know, who all, you know, contribute to the, to the attacking part of the game. Mm-hmm. You've got guys like Tejon Buchanan who are, you know, kind of complimentary players, but hugely effective. Um, and then you've got a, a back line that is a little underrated, um, but is certainly done very well. And, and a goalkeeper in Matt Turner, who's one of the best in the league. So it, it's a team with, without, any real discernible weaknesses, but any team can be had on their day. And so that's why, you know, the playoffs kind of offer up their own, their own twist on things. Um, and their own season, a new season. Right. Yeah. Right. It's right. almost like a different competition now. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I think there, there are some teams that, that can, can give new England a run for their money. I mean, I think NYCFC is hugely talented. I mean, it, they look like they are, their season was about to go in the toilet and then they, mm-hmm. they turn it around late. Um, they've got a striker in Tati Castellanos, who's, you know, obviously one of the best in the league was, was a joint top scorer. Um, and so they're a team that can be dangerous. I mean, Nashville is just defensively very tough and, and has a a match winner in Hani Mukhtar who, who can do amazing things and, and is, you know, can win a game on his own. So it's not going to be a cakewalk for new England by any means. I mean, there will, there will be some tough moments. There, there will be some tough games. Um, and then Philadelphia, I mean, everyone's kind of, everyone kind of wrote them off af- after last year, you know, losing Brendan Aronson and, and Mark McKenzie. And, um, but they've managed to retool pretty effectively. I mean, Ernst Tanner, I think is one of the best GMs in the league, if not the best. I mean, he just, you know, they've got a, a system and a, and a way of going about things in Philadelphia that is just, it's not easy. It's not easy to, to generate the number of players that they do from their academy, but also identify the, these foreign targets who are not household names, but are end up being very, very good MLS players. And certainly there have been plenty of other teams, you know, where I live in San Jose, they, they've been trying to do that and they, they can't seem to get it right. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think New England is the team to beat. Um, we'll see who emerges from the West. I mean, Colorado, my word. Robin Frazier has done an amazing job there, um, getting them to the top. They, they kind of lurk, you know, they, they had the finishing sprint that then ended up beating everybody in the West, but, um, you know, certainly Seattle, I mean, they're, they're a little bit in scuffle mode, you know, they're, they're, they're not at the top of their game, but with these weeks off, we'll see if Rui Diaz and, and Nico Ladero and, and Jordan Morris can, can find a little bit more form. And man, if, if they can, what a boost that will be in the postseason. So yeah, and they, um, they've been to the they've been to the dance before. So and right. like you said it's a second season now. So uh, you never count out Seattle. Uh, Grail. Yeah, Jeff. Just curious, your thoughts about uh, Tab Ramos? Uh, you know, let us let go by Houston Dynamo's new owner. They did come in last in two consecutive seasons, but. 
is Tab's future back with U.S. soccer, do you think? Because that seemed to be where he just flourished. Um, and could he be, if things don't work out for Burhalter, would he be kind of looked at as the next in line? Um, I would think that Tab would want to get another crack at a head coaching job. Um, mm -hmm. Oddly, I don't think his reputation has been too damaged by this because you're looking at a Houston team that was already not very good and didn't really spend money effectively. And mm -hmm. now granted spending isn't the be all end all in MLS. I mean, you know, if you spend your money wisely on, on maybe, you know, B list players, you, you can still put together a pretty good side, but, you know, they were, they were never really able to do that. And, and how much of that is what was on Matt Jordan, who's also no longer there and how much of that is on tab remains to be seen, but he was only given two seasons also. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's right. the other thing. I mean, yeah. And, and so it was, uh, you know, a little bit of a, you know, certainly other coaches have gotten more time to try to turn things around than that. And so, right. uh, you know, if he were to get another MLS job, I mean, it wouldn't be like this kind of eyebrow raising. Well, he was horrible. I mean, look at Robin Frazier. I mean, mm -hmm. he was, if you were to look at his record at Chivas USA, you'd think he should never get another shot, but obviously he did. And look what he's done in Colorado. So I, I see no reason why Tab Ramos couldn't write the same kind of script. Um, you know, we'll see what happens in terms of, you know, his next opportunity. I get the sense that it's not going to be with U.S. soccer though. I mean, I think he, he kind of, you know, that relationship kind of ran its course. He was there a long time. You know, he, he was there for multiple U20 cycles. They just hired a new U20 coach in, yeah, so, in Veras. Yeah. And so, um, obviously, so that position is filled. So I, I, I get the sense that it would be kind of tough to go backwards almost. Right. That, that, that's the, back to that. There's a new regime, um, yeah. part of the old regime, though he's had a lot of success with youth development. So, you know, at the very least that, and even thinking in terms of youth development, it, it takes a couple of years to get young players into the pipeline, you know, like Dallas producing all these players. Um, and I think that would have happened eventually with Tab and whether that would have impacted their season, probably in a, in a positive way. Uh, Sam, yeah, I mean, to oh, me, sorry, good Jeff, go ahead. thought here real yeah. quick. I mean, I am surprised that Houston hasn't been able to do more with their academy. I mean, they've had a couple guys come through, um, but it hasn't. You know, if you're not going to spend, man, you bet you're you better be getting some guys from from your academy who can chew up a lot of minutes. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, Houston hasn't been able to do that in an area of the country where the game flourishes. So, um, so that that's that's one thing that I think Houston needs to address. Well, they have to start cheating like the Astros, and that would be the. Sam, yeah, Jeff. Speaking of expansion and more competitions, um, I just want to get your take on the League's Cup uh, that we're going to see in a couple of years. And also, we on the show last week were debating an idea from Bodor. I don't know if you saw this in Soccer America, saying they should just scrap the MLS playoffs now and just do a you know Eastern Conference versus Western Conference Cup final in light of the League's Cup, uh, you know, coming in. Um, so yeah, just curious to get your take on that idea. Uh, I'm not really a fan of that idea just because, I mean, the league's cup has Liga MX teams in it. So, I mean, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, it's going to, it's something that's going to take me a while to warm up to, I think. 
Um, okay. And we'll see, we'll see how dominant Mexican teams end up being. I mean, if that's what it ends up, if that's what ends up happening, I mean, this is going to be a tough sell. I mean, mm-hmm. for MLS, even for, for Liga MX, I mean, you know, they've, they've had a couple of iterations of this. I mean, there was the Super League back in the, in the late 2000s. And then, you know, they've been, you know, trying to, to get, get together on, on these other competitions. Um, I mean, for the league to shut down for, for an entire month, I mean, wow. I don't, it's, it's, that's going to be hard for me to wrap my head around. Um, Even as a player, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah I mean, you're, so you're kind of, you're kind of like putting something aside, not for like a week, like, you know, if you've got like maybe an open cup game or, you know, like a Campionas cup game or anything like that, I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you're putting it to the side for an extended period of time. And so, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm not completely sold. Um, I get why they're doing it. Um, Liga MX wants to expand their brand and, and, and tap into the U S market where there's already, you know, pretty sizable support. Um, and I think MLS wants to raise the level of its game of its players. And I think they're going to have to spend more to do that. Um, but again, it's, it's like I said, I'm still not convinced, um, that this is going to work. Um, but Hey, I mean, the league office has got a lot of smart people trying to make this happen. And so, um, I'm, I'm sure they, they've thought of a lot of the things that I'm bringing up, but we'll um, see what happens. Yeah, we'll have yeah. to wait and see what happens. I mean, yeah. ultimately what happens on the field will determine whether this thing survives and thrives or whether it goes away. All right. Well, Jeff, we're going to get going, but before we do just want to get your thoughts. We talked, mentioned it a little earlier in the broadcast, but, uh, but Chris Wondolowski, just what he's meant, uh, as a player to this league, um, to his teammates and, um, you know, cause everything I've known and heard has been always positive. So what are your thoughts on, on Chris? You know, there's a part of me that thinks he could keep doing this, right. um, that he could keep <laughs> playing and, and be kind of that impact sub and chip in, you know, five to six to seven goals a year. Um, but, you know, obviously he was supposed to do it back in 2020 and obviously the pandemic hit and, you know, he made a decision to try to stick around, but this is a guy that maximized. I mean, he maximized every single last ounce of talent he had. And this is a guy who not only once came through college soccer, but his first three, four years in the league, he was not getting on the field. And it wasn't until that trade, you know, he followed the team from San Jose to Houston and then was traded from Houston back to San Jose. And he was kind of a throw in. I mean, you know, it, it was, it was when it, I remember when it was announced, I mean, Cam Weaver, I don't know if anyone remembers Cam Weaver, but he went the other way. He was a forward. And I think salary cap wise, it ended up being a little bit in San Jose's favor. And, but it, it just didn't seem like the kind of deal that was all that, earth shattering and but lo and behold he goes on and you know to some of the the attributes i I talked about earlier just the classic fox in the box i mean could score with his head could score with either foot one time finishes i mean just his ability to find open space is i mean young strikers in this country ought to look at the way he played and the way he made space for himself and just try to copy that as much as possible. Um, I mean, everybody's going to remember the Belgium game and that's unfortunate. I mean, right. I think about, you know, Gonzalo Higuain missing a breakaway in a world cup final, but right. he doesn't right. seem to have, you know, 
caught the same amount of grief that Chris Wondolowski has, has taken for, for missing that, you know, that chance against Belgium. Um, and, but I mean, you look at everything else that he did, what he, you know, what he meant to the San Jose franchise, you know, what he meant um, to the community. He was, he was a, a Bay area guy He's a Bay area product. I mean, there is so much to like and love about Chris Wondolowski. And I, and I hope that's what people remember. Um, I mean, Okay, I think they will. I think they will, Jeff. I think they will. Remember, remember the goals and remember the passion that he brought to the field. And again, so many positive qualities. And uh, that's what I'm going to remember about Chris Wondolowski. No, yeah, I I do not think that. I think his legacy is the the greatness that he showed uh, in in MLS. And you know, all of us as players have been there, uh, making that mistake, just not with the stakes so damn high. Uh, but he's more than than made up for it domestically, and and uh, we wish him all the best. I have a feeling, Jeff, he's going to go into the front office uh, yeah, he somewhere. Is. He's oh, he is. is. It's yeah, yeah. yeah, that was right. when he at, at his press conference. He, uh, you know, Chris Leach made sure that he was going to going to stick around. So oh, uh, good, I think good. So. Yeah. A lot more to come from him in the next chapter of his, uh, of his life. And he's a good family man as well. I think he's got a new one on the way. Mm-hmm. So all the best to Chris Wontolowski. And all the best to you, Jeff. Thanks for, for getting us up to date on all the things that are going on in the U.S. Uh, men's national team camp. Uh, give the boys our best when you see them. Uh, the pride of the USA. And uh, we'll talk to you again on OTB. Thanks, Jeff. Anytime, guys. All right, guys. Always uh, great to talk to Jeff Carlisle. Uh, you know, I was I had mentioned, you know, if, guys, if you go on Facebook or Twitter, it's just the comments are absolutely insane what people say about the game. So it's just nice to get a guy who's in camp, uh, has some perspective, uh, you know, kind of talks to us in a level headed sort of way. What, what are your thoughts really on, on the well, game? I, coming I agree up? with him about Pulisic being used as a sub. I, I'm mm-hmm. thinking he gets like 20 minutes in the second half and, uh, you know, just using him sparingly um, and. Yeah, you know, the only guys that I really want to make sure are in there are like Zimmerman. I just want the back four to be solid. That's my biggest concern. That first 10 minutes where Mexico just comes at us like a runaway train, we just have to absorb that in the first 15 minutes. Sam? Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see really the U.S. for the first time, I think in this qualifying cycle, you know, be on the back foot and playing more defensively. So I'm curious tactically to see how that goes and how they line up. Um, again, like Grail saying how they sort of withstand that first wave and then really how they manage to create chances, because I would think this would be a great game for someone like Pulisic or Reyna or Des who have the speed to counterattack. So I'm a little concerned about where those opportunities are going to come from. Yeah, I, I have a feeling this is going to be like an old style U.S. men's national team game where they hunker down for a while and just absorb a lot of pressure, especially, you know, with the you know, we don't have the wheels on the outsides, you know, like we said, I, I was surprised that Jeff was not more concerned about the lack of Dest, uh, Reina, um, you know, it, it's, and Pulisic, you know, Pulisic's at, at half speed or whatever, because I just think that when you can have a player like Dest going forward, it puts Mexico on the back foot and, yeah. um, you know, it, it keeps them, uh, gives them the inability to maintain possession and, and just keep us on our back heels. So I'm, uh, I'm worried about this game. I really I, am. Um, I think Pepe is going to score. I, I I think Pepe is made for this moment. This guy has composure out the wazoo. Uh, I agree. I, I, I agree, Grail. But, but, but again, to go back to your question that you had to Jeff, um, the service providing, the you know, the services that are provided, I'm not quite sure, you know, Pepe was working off the ball. I forget which game, 
just like Jeff, I kind of get them yeah. all mixed up a little bit sometimes, but you know, he was basically working his ass off for 45 minutes, didn't really get any service uh, and then got that goal. So, yeah. um, you know, I, that's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about, not worried about him, worried about him getting the ball or getting, um, you know, uh, some chances that uh, he makes really, Jeff was right too. He makes great runs for a striker. He's just got that ability to time his runs. He's rarely offside. And he's always in those places that Sergeant and Zardes weren't. So right. I'm like, yeah, more of that, please. All right. Uh, okay, guys. So um, big game tonight, Jamaica next week. Uh, we'll know a lot more as we do OTB next week. I think we're going to have uh, Mike Wojtola on from Soccer America next week. But, um, Grail, one thing that really hit me, uh, this really interested me, uh, Fox Sports signs a massive deal for all the national team tournaments. Wow. Talk about that. Cause I think yeah. there's been a lot of frustration about people saying like what service, uh, you know, platform, what you know, channel, what, you know, we're all searching for it. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a massive deal. Uh, I'll give you the top lines. Uh, no numbers have been released. I haven't seen any financials, but it's gotta be, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a billion dollars anyway. So it's the, they secure the rights to the Euro championships in 2024 and 2028. They're also getting 1,500 European national team matches, so um, which is just an extraordinary number of matches. You know, they already have the Men's World Cup in 2022 and 26, and they have the Women's World Cup in 23. Um, they're going to get Gold Cup 23, Copa America 24, Nations League, na uh, national UEFA national uh, team qualifiers, and, uh, and all friendlies controlled by UEFA. So ESPN's out of the wow. mix with the Euros for the first time since 2008. They don't have anything to do with the Euros. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're tripling down. Now, the, the thing they're going to have to do is, and this has to be coming soon, is some version of Fox Sports Plus to accommodate all, this, all these games because there's no way on their existing platforms they can do that. So they must have already had something in the works to launch a streaming network to help accommodate all these games, but it's a, it's a massive deal. And they don't have one now, a streaming service Fox. No, I don't think they have their version of Paramount plus or ESPN plus or whatever. Right. I no, I think they, I, I think they need to create that. And it's probably been for all we know, it's already been in the works. So this is a big move because look, uh, you have NBC with the premier league, you had uh, TNT jumped in uh, quickly and then quickly jumped out of the freezing waters and uh, CBS with Paramount plus uh, has, has jumped in a little bit here, uh, which I like because it means that there's value in these games, obviously, uh, which is something that, you know, Grail Sam doesn't remember those days of like who, who gave a shit about yeah. some of these games, you know? Um, so that's a good thing. But it, like you said, tripling down, I think that's a good way to, to, to put it because Fox is really, they plunked a lot of money down. I would imagine on this whole oh, thing, but they're making a big play. They're yeah, staggering. They're looking to recoup it, obviously, in subscription fees, which will be the streaming yeah. part, and then in advertising, obviously, for these games. But, I mean, that's just an, an incredible number of games that they're going to have to handle. So they're going to also have to hire a ton of talent. It's going to be a massive investment across the whole Fox Sports empire. Across the board. And then for us as viewers, it makes things a little simpler, no? Well, it makes it simpler if you're willing to pay $5.99 a month for, and again, I'm making up this name, whatever they come <laughs> up with, Fox Sports Plus, which will be, in my mind, soccer and everything else that they don't have room to cover on their linear TV platform. I think they're going to go with Fox, uh, Fox Grail. That'll be the name <laughs> of the streaming channel. Yeah, that just rolls right off your tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. Hey, so, uh, all right, Sam, any more comments before we get going here? 
Uh, I'm not have too much to add to that. I hope they hire me. <laughs> if they yeah, fuck Sam, I thought of you, man. They they need, they're going to need a ton of people. Yeah. You'll have to move to the West Coast, I would imagine. So, uh, all right, guys. Well, uh, I'd like to thank our guest today, Jeff Carlisle, um, and my co-hosts, Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett. Uh, you know, all the best to Chris Wondolowski. Uh, we're kind of, you know, um, Jeff really spoke quite eloquently about him, but, uh, but man, great player, really a fantastic player, yeah. uh, fantastic individual done a lot, uh, to make this league rise in prominence. And, uh, as f- former footballers, we all appreciate it. Um, uh, so best of luck to Chris and his family as they move ahead with the next chapter in his life. All right, everybody for over the ball. I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next week on OTV.